analyzing your own brain could be good or bad, but I find it just very interesting to be able to sit there and actually watch myself go through sporadic randomness of my neurons firing across my brain and affecting my left temporal lobe more than my right temporal lobe because of the damages there last for 30 seconds, maybe half an hour, but I'm still awake and aware. You never get to give yourself a real outward, inward perspective of your own brain functioning. So it made me think a lot more about what is actually going on in my brain and others too. I'm Jamie Mo Crazy, and you're listening to Life Gets Mo Crazy, where we'll hear from people who either been through a trauma or helped someone else through it. Listen and learn strategies you can implement in your life so when a metaphorical avalanche slides you down the mountain of life, you can climb an alternative peak with the best view. I'm here today with Josh Manning, and we're going to talk about being a neuroscientist and a brain injury patient at the same time, because that's what Josh is. It's just mind-blowing, his injury, what happened to him, and what he's doing right now in his life. It's so exciting. So Josh, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, no problem. I'm so excited that you're here. So we'll start out by talking when you were climbing the mountain of life and you were caught in a metaphorical avalanche that slid you to the bottom of life when you had a brain injury. Tell us about that journey. Well, when I had the brain injury, I actually do remember a little bit of the first part of it. Uh, I just slipped on some ice at 10,000 feet. So I was high up in the Colorado Rockies and uh, I cracked my head open and uh, had three brain hemorrhages. And from there, it's, I'm in and out. But I do I remember being at the hospital, the first hospital. And the cool thing about it, I do remember going on the helicopter. Um, I'm in and out from there. And then I'm pretty much out for a while. And then I wake up and I'm in a hospital bed in the ICU. Yeah. A lot of people think that car accidents or sporting events are the number one cause of brain injuries in developed countries because you hear of sports stars having a story tied into their accident like me but actually sports accidents are the third cause car accidents are the second cause and slips and falls like what happened to you is a number one cause of brain injuries in the united states yeah you know, and, and believe it or not, I slipped on ice at the end of August. But that's what happens at 10,000 feet elevation. Wow. And so what second order and third order effects are you facing right now? And first, can you explain to us what second order and third order effects are? Sure. Um, well, first order effects are just basically the neurological damage. Um, and so sometimes... You know, you could have cognitive deficits. You might totally wipe out your speech. You know, there's all kinds of things that you could have. Um, and so then I had a second order effects. And depending on who you talk to, it could be a first order effects, which is epilepsy and seizure disorders. And so I consider that a secondary effect. 
um, because one of my areas of my brain damage was my left um, temporal lobe, which is where a lot of seizures are started. Um, and it spreads throughout the brain. And then the third or effect is what really gets in the way of my life. <laughs> and when you have seizures, it turns out you break a lot of bones. <laughs> and so I've broken a lot of bones. Um, it'll be almost a year since I had several hip surgeries for my broken bones. So that's what's really getting in the way of my life is that I'm still walking not very well. My seizures are pretty well controlled, but you know, it's not 100%, but that's through medication. So those are difficult things to deal with that I think many, many people might not realize that it's not just what you can't do because of the brain injury itself. It affects a lot of other parts of your life. Yeah. And since your brain injury, you have worked through a lot of neuroplasticity. How did you regrow your brain synaptic connections and brain pathways and, and get on a journey to get back to who you are today? And what are you currently doing in life? Well, that's a difficult question to answer because there isn't a simple answer. In a human being, it's hard to measure exactly what neuroplasticity is happening or what reconnections are happening. I had injuries to the frontal lobe, left and right, and temporal lobe right behind your ear. And because we can't actually look at the neurons themselves, we look at things like MRIs, which are just large areas. The neuroplasticity most likely had a, a, was a big factor. Um, basically, that that had to reorganize around whatever happened in my brain. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I was really lucky that I was able to still, once I woke up, I was reasonably well. I could talk. I wasn't allowed to get out of bed. I wasn't allowed to drink too much water, actually, because of swelling in the brain. And so basically, I just had to slowly, over the next couple of weeks, make sure that I can do enough. My full rehab and treatment went on for about four months until the doctor told me I could not see him again unless something really bad happened. I actually got two helicopter rides because they released me from the hospital probably a little too early. And I developed cerebral edema, swelling of the brain. Luckily, I had a roommate at the time. And without him, I would have died. And he called 911 and said, if you don't get here now, he's going to die. And I actually was dying. Um, at that point, I couldn't speak. I was just mumbling. And they luckily took me to the hospital, put me on a helicopter ride. Next thing I know, I open my eyes and I'm like, oh, there's my dad. There's my brother. There's my girlfriend at the time. I was like, oh, I guess I'm back. <laughs> so at this point, you are looking to go back to school and do brain research at St. Jude's Research Hospital. Okay, so... While I'm sitting here with my injured hips, I figured, well, I should maybe learn a little more and get another graduate degree. And so I applied for master's level graduate degrees in data science, data analytics types of things. And I was accepted into Harvard, Syracuse, and Johns Hopkins. And I could start those online. But I also applied for jobs. And so I applied for a job a long shot a couple months ago to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. And so I have an interview. I don't know what's going to happen from there, but it's basically doing research on functioning of the brain 
for children that have catastrophic illness. The other job is your college of Pennsylvania. I have an interview next week for becoming an instructor of psychology. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were kind of nervous to mention your serious injury in your applications to some of these uh, brain research hospitals, but you had consultation with an MIT professor and he recommended that you do share your connection to brain injury. So why were you nervous about sharing it? And how do you think sharing your connection to brain injury will help your attributes in brain research? Well, I think I'm nervous because a lot of people don't understand brain injury. My experience has been, it's a red flag. You know, you know, when you say your brain damaged, people assume a lot of things. Some often aren't true and they might be risk averse. You know, it, it could come across in not very beneficially for me, because in a short interview, what do they know about all of my deficits or functioning? You know, it just could be one of those things. And I'm not saying anybody would do this on purpose, but I have noticed sometimes people treat you a little differently. Even if you're sitting right next to them acting normally, sometimes people treat you differently because of they find out you actually have a part of your, part of your brain who's damaged. Um, I'm proud of it, but at the same time, I don't tell everybody. What the professor told me, though, is because this is a research hospital for catastrophic illnesses, is that this also gives me motivation to expand my research, not only for interesting questions, but also maybe I can use it as motivation to impact other people's lives when they're going through difficult situations in hospitals with illness, etc. So he thought that could be a good way to show why I might want to apply for jobs like this. So it's interesting because one in four Americans have a brain injury. 55 million people globally have a brain injury. It's actually a pretty common occurrence. And many people just going about lives that you don't know have a brain injury have a brain injury. And so you can function and, and you can perform. And there are certain things that you might be able to do better because of your brain injury. It does give you a different mindset. It gives you a different experience that you went through. And you're learning so much in that recovery process that it does kind of potentially make you open to asking questions to do research on that other people might not have asked because you relate to symptoms similar to it. My point is, it opens you up and you can perform and you can live a life you love to be living and and accomplish things that society sees as successful. I mean, the education programs that you got into for your master's degree, society would say those are successful. The narrative for brain injury is that after you have a brain injury, your life will never be the same again, and it will never be as good. And the thing is, is it will never be the same again. You will have changes in your life. However, you can build an amazing life. Yeah. What I would like to do, or and you probably are already doing, I guess, is change the culture of what people think. 
about people with brain damage. And, and the thing is, depending on how you um, define brain damage, there are a lot of brain disorders too. And something that was really inspirational to me a couple months ago, and I might have told you about this before, was on CBS, Michael J. Fox was doing an interview and he has Parkinson's, which is basically what happens is the death of dopamine neurons in the brain, which causes a lot of motor functions, trembling, all that stuff. And he said something that really identified, really hit home for me was that his friends worry about him too much because he falls and he's like, well, you fall, you break bones. I'm going to fall again. I'm going to break bones. And and I was like, well, that's just like with my seizures. And I tell my parents and everybody, stop worrying about it. I'm going to fall again. I'm going to break bones. I'd rather not. But, you know, you just kind of adapt. And so it's not the end of the world. You just have to adapt a little bit to it. Yeah. And that brings us to the bidirectional interactions, which is what we've been talking about a little bit, because there is so much of a variety in injuries and functions with brain injury. It can be difficult for others on the outside to observe and understand what brain injury survivors are actually experiencing. And what you are actually experiencing is also changing month by month, year by year, as you're evolving and um, as you are building your identity again. Yeah, it, that, it's true. And that's true for people without brain injuries too, is that I think a lot of people, a lot of us don't, just don't actually think about it enough. People with brain injuries are kind of forced to think about it because all of a sudden you go through these changes, especially if you're an adult like us, we were already aware of who we were. And then all of a sudden someone like <laughs> stops us in our tracks, you know, whether it's, it falls crash your skiing, whatever. Next thing you know, you have to go through this a little bit again. Most people, or a lot of, let's just say a lot of people don't have to go through that and they never think about it, but it does happen to everybody. And unfortunately for, for us, we just kind of get, it's put right into our face. And the truth is like, I don't look negatively at my brain injury. Honestly, I'd like, I, you know, as I said, I carry my, told you before, I carry my MRI as the background on my phone. <laughs> And I'm happy, you know, that that's there. I think, you know, as my, my doctor shouldn't have said this to my dad, but he showed the picture of an MRI to my dad. He says, if you show this to any doctor, he'll say, why is he not dead? And as a neuroscientist, he's right. He shouldn't have said that to my dad. But, but now I kind of wear it was like, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'm here, you know, like, don't be scared of it. Here I am. So it. A lot of a lot of roles to play after you have a brain injury. Yeah, which is why I think it's so important that you do embrace that you had the brain injury and harness that fire, power, passion, energy when you're applying for your brain research work. So harness it all because it does give you something and it is a badge of honor to be proud of. Yeah. One thing I actually really enjoy sometimes, and this also sounds strange, I think, to a lot of people, and I know my parents don't like it. A lot of times when I have seizures, I'm unconscious, unaware, and then I wake up with bruises um, or tongue bleeding such as that. But sometimes I have what's called an aphasic seizure, 
and I lose all ability to speak. But I'm still, I can see, I can still think on a level and I can get up and walk around. I can, I can shake my head like yes or no and grunt, but I can't say anything. But what's really cool for me, I like sitting there as a neuroscientist thinking what's going on in my brain at the same time it actually is going on in my brain. And, you know, analyzing your own brain could be good or bad, but I find it just very interesting to be able to sit there and actually watch myself go through sporadic randomness of my neurons firing across my brain and affecting my left temporal lobe more than my right temporal lobe because of the damages there last for 30 seconds, maybe half an hour, but I'm still awake and aware. You never get to give yourself a real outward, inward perspective of your own brain functioning. So it made me think a lot more about what is actually going on in my brain and others too. Yes. And that is a very important gift you got from your brain injury. It is just experiencing it personally as well as educationally, which is something that also happened for my mom because prior to my brain injury, she had a master's in psychology. She had studied early childhood brain development um, and brain education. So she had all of these educational aspects when she became my family caregiver. And so she became active right away and was making things. Um, and she's also a nutrition specialist. So making all these decisions, starting when I was in the coma to when my feeding tube was taken out to when I left the hospital. And it all had an educational background to it. So now she's currently in her PhD in mind-body medicine with a focus on traumatic brain injury recovery, trying to bring the science behind my recovery and be able to give it out to other individuals, which is so fascinating because it seems like that's similar to what you're doing. Like she experienced it and she was educated on it. And so... Um, and now she now we're working with Mo Crazy Strong to deliver that to more and more individuals. Um, and same with what you're, you're talking about. You have studied the neuroscience and then you're experiencing the neuroscience in action, which gives you a different understanding of what you learned educationally than anyone else who does not have a brain injury. Yeah, and honestly, it's it's giving me more motivation to keep studying the brain more. I, I I go outside and play with the puppy dog, but I always bring a pile of books and papers of neuroscience, computational neuroscience, probability theory, just to, like now, I've gone through these books years ago. Now I want to go through them again to understand more, not just about other people, but about myself too. And it's just, it's it's a great motivating factor just to, it's good to be able to use the brain trauma as something to keep me moving forward for things that I kind of was already doing, but now I, I can go even further with it. Um, and that's what we were talking about earlier is, you know, what makes me nervous about telling people about my brain trauma was like, people look at it kind of negatively. Well, in this case, it's a, it shows that I was being a neuroscientist. I got a PhD in neuroscience. I've been researching it. And then I had a brain injury. 
But now what am I doing? I'm using that to keep going farther with neuroscience research and, and keep doing that and not just stopping and not just doing the same stuff. Now try to do more stuff, different types of neuroscience research. And I, I mean, and that's kind of a motivating factor that anybody could have for any multiple reasons. It doesn't have to be a brain trauma. Exactly. Any trauma you face doesn't have to hold you back. And one of the things we've kind of talked about a little bit, which has to do with the overall narrative of brain injury, and we've kind of touched to it, is too often survivors are extra critical of themselves and blame something that they're doing or get scared that something that they're doing is because of their brain injury and is their challenges and is their deficits and is their disability. And an example would be if you forget something and it's because you had a brain injury. Well, guess what? My husband forgets things too. And um, everybody I know forgets things. It's being a human. And so too often we say, oh, we, we blame just our, our human deficits on our brain injury deficit. So if you're lazy for something, you say it's because of your brain injury. No, you're just being lazy. Like you don't ha- have to tie everything challenging or difficult about yourself to having a brain injury. And you can let yourself climb an alternative peak and focus on your strengths after your brain injury and still work on minimizing the deficits and the weaknesses. But some of the smartest people in the world had challenges that society would think was detrimental. And it it, it gave them a, a different avenue to pursue. Yeah, actually, here's a good example of that, similar to that, that people can relate to that don't understand what goes on with the brain injuries or different uh, deficits is everybody's seen the movie A Beautiful Mind, right? And it's about John Nash. And one of the books I carry with me (laughs) every day is an edited version of photocopies of his mathematics paper. And one I just started rereading is his... uh, games on non non-cooperative equilibria and such and the interesting thing about him is he wrote that in 1951 didn't win the nobel prize for that paper until 1994 and his brain got in the way because he had schizoaffective disorder and he didn't stop still he kept going somehow and that's very hard to recover from and to continue to do mathematics and next thing you know he wins the nobel prize as an older man for something he wrote when he was in graduate school. And so that's a great example where we can put into a picture of a movie that people actually see and now, and could appreciate what people go through with when they have uh, deficits or damage or trauma to the brain, it doesn't mean you have to stop. And he didn't stop and he, he made it somehow. Yeah. Because after a brain injury, you can climb an alternative peak. You can create a life you want to be living. There are so many opportunities if you just start walking on the path and trust and believe that you can continue to make changes and you can continue to heal for, for years past your brain injury and continue to create a life you love to be living. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to Life Gets Mo Crazy. 
I hope you learned some new ways to climb an alternative peak after an unexpected trauma by listening to this episode. If you loved it, which I really hope you did, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your family and friends. If you would like to follow my Mo Crazy Life, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or my Facebook accounts at Jamie Mo Crazy or hashtag Mo Crazy Strong. So stay tuned for our next episode. Each episode is the last Friday of each month. And in every episode, you will learn something special and something new on how to climb an alternative peak. So thanks again for tuning in and go have a mo crazy life until we talk again.